Amen. I appreciate those testimonies, don't you? Those are great. Appreciate those words. Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1, the message came to Mary and said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came, and he's the missing piece. Well, this morning, let me ask you a few questions. When you pray in your prayer life, are you praying for revival? And are you praying for revival in your own life? Are you praying for revival in your marriage and family? Are you praying for revival in the fellowship of our church? And are we praying for revival in our nation? Are we praying for revival? He came to save his people from their sins. And then he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, you shall find life and you shall have life more abundantly. Are you living the abundant life that Christ promised? Now, as we go back to Psalm 51, let me give you a little words here about the life of David. The Bible is very clear that David was a man after God's own heart. And as we think about David, God used David as a shepherd boy, and God used him as a king. And on this Sunday morning, let me invite you to lean in, because I want to give you this next statement. I want you to listen to this. And because as you think about the missing piece in David's life, it's going to be important for us. And here's the word. It's a, it's a sober warning. It's a word of caution for us. David, again, a man after God's own heart, shepherd boy, and king. And here's the word. If David could spiritually fall, no one in this room or no one watching is immune from falling as well. It happened in the life of David. It happened in your life and my life. And David's going to discover that he is the missing piece. Now, as I think about David's life, and again, that's a sober warning. It's almost like the Life Alert commercial that we used to see. A lady would fall, she'd press a button, and somebody would come on the line, and what would she say? I've fallen, and I can't get up. David was in that situation. A man after God's own heart, God used him, but he had fallen spirits in his life, and he could not get up, and he was calling out to God to come and help him. The engine light of his life was on, and David knew it. Now, as I think about your life, let me ask you today, is the engine light on in your life? As you look at the dashboard of your life and the light is on and what are you going to do about it, I wonder how many people honestly would say the engine light of my life is on and what am I doing about it? Some people are ignoring it. They hope it's going to go off somewhere. Some people even take a piece of tape and put over it and say, I just don't want to see it. And maybe it'll go away. And then there are others who get the owner's manual out and say, why is the engine light on? Or they go seek professional help to say, what can happen in the life of my car? But what about your own life? Is the engine light in your life on? And what are you doing about it? Ignoring it or seeking the owner's manual or seeking help? A troubled soul. The Bible gives us a lot of insight about troubled souls. We understand that Herod had a troubled soul when he heard the news about the birth of Christ. Jerusalem had a troubled soul because all Jerusalem with him, even about the birth of Christ. And Mary, when she received news that she was going to give birth to the Son of God and Savior of the world, the Bible says she was troubled about that as well. So having a troubled soul is not wrong. What is God doing in your life? What is he speaking into your life about? Sometimes we're troubled over our sin. Sometimes we're troubled over our city. And sometimes we're troubled over our purpose. What does God want to do with us? And how does he want to use us? 
Well, as we come to Psalm 51, it's an interesting psalm because there are not many psalms we see out of 150 that give us the historical context of that psalm, but this one does. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. I mean, there's a sermon right there. It's a psalm. We know that. It's a word from God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's a psalm of David. David, a man after God's own heart, used of God again in great, great ways. But then it talks about Nathan, the prophet who went to him. Now, can you imagine you're going along in your life, you're serving God, and then all of a sudden God speaks into your life, and he wants you to go and have a conversation with the king of Israel. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Nathan, that he's going to go and sit down with David, have a conversation, tell a story, and David is going to be outraged at that story, and then ultimately Nathan is going to say to him, David, you need to realize these words, you are the man. Can you imagine that assignment from God to be able to do that? As I think back in ministry, if you're going to be in ministry, you need to be prepared to have some tough conversations with people. I just think back, I've been able to sit down with people and say, we're going to go a different direction in ministry. And that was not easy. I've sat down with many people over the years and say, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but your loved one didn't survive. We're going to walk with you from here, but your loved one passed away. Nathan had that kind of conversation with David. And then you think about David. Can you imagine a man after his own heart how God used him to write his story, how humiliating this must have been for David, that David was writing about his own sin and his own spiritual collapse. Can you imagine having to do that? And I think there's a grave warning for us in that as we think about being faithful to God's word, that somewhere as individuals, even as kids and students and adults, we need to think through our decisions and think about the consequences. If I do that, what am I going to have to say before God? But what am I going to have to say before loved ones of mine? What am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to say? Think about the consequences if you do that. What does it mean to you down the road? So here Nathan is having this tough conversation with David. Here David is writing about his own sin and spiritual collapse. And the enemy wants you to think there are no consequences when you do things. That's simply not true from God's word. I'd also say this. I've been around a number of spiritual leaders and political leaders who've had to stand before God, but also people whom they love and even congregations. And to say to people, ultimately what David said in Psalm 51 verse 4, I have sinned against God and done what is evil in his sight. And I've seen the brokenness in their lives as a result of that. Here's what we know from God's word, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. As parents, as you seek to raise your kids in the ways of God, I would also ask you to maybe write this verse down. You may want to impress this on your kids, your grandkids as you go along. It's out of Numbers chapter 32. I heard this growing up in my life a lot. I just encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to impress this on your heart as you teach. And here's what it says. Be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. Now, now, David thought he could get away with it. He thought he could commit adultery and then murder and get away with it. And then all of a sudden, one day, Nathan showed up, pointed out his sin and said, David, you are the man. 
But somewhere you're going to realize the enemy is a liar because he's going to say to you what you do in secret, what's done behind closed doors, no one will ever know that is a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Because of what God's Word says. You can be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. And sometimes it'll find out before you even get home. I think my mother and them had just connections all over the place because I could do something and I hadn't even got home and walked in the door. What did you just do? How in the world did you find that out? Well, I've got connections. You can be sure your sin will find you out. The enemy doesn't want you to believe that. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. What happens in Clarksville doesn't always stay in Clarksville. You've got to be sure your sin will find you out. I'll never forget 1988. It's a Sunday morning. Jimmy Swaggart, standing before his congregation, thought what he did in New Orleans would never be found out. He's standing before God, but also his congregation. And what did he say that Sunday morning? With I can still see him on television doing this, tears flowing down his face. What did he say? I have sinned against you, God, and done what is evil in your sight. And the enemy doesn't want you to believe that. Your sin will find you out. And as I think about that, I also think about David. I think even though he committed adultery and then murder, trying to cover it up the best he could, Nathan shows up at his place, says, David, you're the man. I think it set David free. That's why we have Psalm 51. And I just want to say to people in this room and those who may be watching, you may be living a double life this morning. You're this way on Sundays and you're another way on Mondays. There are things going in your life you think no one else knows. No one is ever going to find out. I just encourage you, be open to the Holy Spirit's leadership. One of the greatest blessings of your life could be that you would be found out so the Lord Jesus could set you free. Why? He is the missing piece. I remember one time years, years ago in a ministry, we had a guy in ministry that had done some actions that were wrong and done some actions that literally had put the church at risk. And it came on my watch, and so I had to have a conversation with him one day about what he had done. He finally confessed to that. We released him of his duties and his responsibilities. You'd think that would have been a negative experience for him, but let me say this morning, it literally set that brother in Christ free. Set him free. You could just see the relief that came on him. Why? Because now the truth is out there. He doesn't have to hide that anymore. And now he's going to move forward in a different way. And so he's no longer outside of all those issues he'd been dealing with. Now it's come to light. And he really found himself free. And God used him in great ways years after that. Same is going to be true in David's life. I want to ask you this morning, are you a troubled soul? Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. He came that we would have abundant life. And the missing piece, he can set you free in this room and watching today. Let me invite you to the outline. I want to walk through a number of things with you. Number one, looking inward leads to confession. Looking inward leads to confession. What sins do you need to confess? There was a guy one time who who filled out his tax returns one year and sent them in. He didn't report all of his income, and then after that, he just couldn't sleep. He was awake all hours of the night, finally got under conviction, so he wrote the IRS a letter and said, 
I filled out my tax return last year. I did not report all of my income. I've not been able to sleep since I've done that. So I'm going to send you an additional check for $150. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you more later. (laughs) Uh, What sins do you need to confess? I had the opportunity on Friday, uh, Dr. Jim Brandon and I played a little golf. and We finished playing golf. We went into a restaurant and had lunch and and the, and the young lady who was serving us, we got into a conversation with her about working there and where did she live at. She lived across the river, and we talked about what her interests were and those type of things like that. Then we talked about her going to church. She talked about where she was attending church at, and we had that conversation. Then we got deeper in the conversation about what it means to know Jesus. And it came apparent as we were having that conversation with her, she knew about the Lord in her head, but she had never trusted the Lord with her life. And so we're in this restaurant having this conversation. Just ask her by her name, have you ever sinned before in your life? She said, absolutely have sinned. Why? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we agreed that we'd sinned and that we could not save ourselves, no matter how good we were, how religious we are, none of those things like that. We shared the good news of Christ with her, that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, gave his life on a cross, buried in a tomb, gloriously raised on the third day. She had sinned, but God loves her and wanted to change her life. And because she understood her sin, understood the grace of God and who the Lord Jesus Christ is, there in the restaurant on Friday at about 1237, she turned from her sin and gave her life to Jesus Christ to be saved. Only the Lord could do that. I immediately contacted the pastor's church she'd been been attending literally while we were sitting there and say, here's a young lady that would love for you to follow up with her and taking the next steps. That's about kingdom ministry. But, but all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me go back in Psalm 51 because the context starts in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. There's his mistake. David should have been at war. He should have been on the battlefield, but here he is in Jerusalem in the city of David on the rooftop of his palace. It happened late one afternoon. It just happened that way. That's how the enemy works. It happened one day. And so when David arose from his couch, was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof of the woman bathing. The woman was very, very beautiful, Scripture says. And David didn't stop there. He inquired about her, and then he had her brought to him, and then David committed a sin before God. And here we come then to Nathan showing up on the scene, telling the story. David is outraged. Nathan ultimately looking at David in the eyes and saying, David, you've got to realize you are the man. Old preachers, when I was growing up, used to say with passion in their voices, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. They would say that again and again and again. That is still true in our day. You sin against God, it will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you more than you could ever think you would repay. And it will keep you longer than you want to stay. But he is the missing piece. Look at these two blanks here. Confession is a personal responsibility. When you look at Psalm 51... You see, in this context, David is not saying that his neighbor sinned or someone else in Jerusalem sinned. He's saying, God, I've sinned against you. 
What did he say? Have mercy on me, O God. Notice the personal pronouns. Not about somebody else. It's about David. God, I've sinned against you according to your steadfast love. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God, I'm the one who sinned against you. Confession is personal responsibility. Now let me ask you today, what sin or sins do you need to confess in your life? Confession is agreeing with God. So how many of us in this room and watching need to come and say, God, I've not been a faithful son or daughter of yours in life. I've not been giving you my best. I've not been seeking the kingdom of God first. And God, I need to confess my sin before you. How many need to say, I've not been the godly husband or wife that my spouse deserves? How many of us need to confess that? How many parents need to say, I need to confess, we have not been leading our kids in the ways of Jesus in life. And how many children need to confess to say, I've not shown the honor and respect to my mom and dad that they deserve from God's word and in life. Confession is a personal responsibility. David was confessing his sin. How many of us today need to come before a holy God and say, God, I've sinned against you. I've done what is evil in your sight. I need your forgiveness. Number two, confession is a worshipful response. As you look at this context here and you think about the life of David, uh, what is, again, confession is agreeing with God. David is having a conversation with God. He's not talking to a leader in Jerusalem. He's talking to the Heavenly Father. He's also agreeing with God. God, you know my sin, but I agree with you. I have sinned against you. And he's believing God that God could forgive him of his sin and restore him. David needed revival and renewal in his life, and he's seeking God for that. And so just because you've sinned and disobeyed God and just because you've walked away from his principles and precepts doesn't mean the greatest days of your walk with Christ are over. They could be in your future, but you need to understand confession is a personal responsibility. Confession is a worshipful response. Have a conversation with God. Agree with him and believe this is who God is. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus, so I could be forgiven and know him. Only God would do that. But when you look un- inward, it leads to confession. Look at number two. Looking upward leads to forgiveness. As you look at David's life, he's looked inward and said, God, I have sinned against you. He's going to look upward and say, God, you are a forgiving father. And as you and I look back in history, I could give you some dates, but for example, in 1857 in New York City, God moved in an extraordinary way. Why? Because there was confession and they were seeking God for forgiveness. And God moved during that historical time. In 1904 in Wales, there was a young guy by the name of Evan Roberts. Burden for his city, burden for people around him, even his own life. And he came before God, pouring out with confession and seeking God for forgiveness. And God moved in Wales like no time in history. 1970, Wilmore, Kentucky, not far from here. Asbury College on a Tuesday morning, chapel service was taking place, but God interrupted that chapel service because students and professors came to the microphone, started confessing their sins, seeking the forgiveness of God, and God moved in Wilmore, Kentucky, and literally around the world. Wouldn't it be amazing in our lives to hear at the end of 2021, moving into 2022, because we looked inward and saw our sin and came before God with confession, 
we looked upward and realized, God, you are God of forgiveness in Jesus Christ that generations later could say, at the end of 2021 and 2022, you need to understand how the Heavenly Father moved in the lives of people. Wouldn't it be great they would talk about what God did in 2022 for generations to come? And here we are this morning still talking about the life of David, a man after God's own heart, confessed his sin, experienced the forgiveness of God, and God's going to move in his life. Well, let me give you these two statements. Make a bold request. When I say make a bold request, here's what I mean. You approach God. David did what? He approached Almighty God in his life. And then I just ask you, approach God and then ask him to forgive you. God is not short on forgiveness. Approach him because he's approachable in Christ, but also ask him to forgive you and to create in you a new heart. David did that. You and I can do that. And then the second thing, trust a gracious father. This is who God is. When you think about who the heavenly father is, he is a God of mercy. When you think about the heavenly father, he's a God of love. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of truth. And he is a God who is able. Nothing is impossible with our God. He can do all things. And so when you approach him, you trust this gracious father to say, God, you have mercy on me. God, your steadfast love is real in my life. I seek your forgiveness because why? You are a God of truth and you are able to set me free and to forgive me and to use my story to change the lives of other people. God can do that. But you've got to look inward leading to confession You look upward leading to forgiveness. And then number three, you look outward, which leads to discipleship. Because the story of David is after he confessed his sin, and then he looked inward and confessed that, and then he experienced God's forgiveness, he started looking outward at the lives of other people and then said, God, will you use me to teach transgressors your ways? God, I've got a story to tell. And I want other people to know that because they're living troubled lives as well. Their souls are troubled. My soul was troubled. You set me free and God used me in the lives of other people. Let me give you these two statements. Live a life of obedience. As you look at David's life here, he was living a life of obedience because he wanted to serve the Lord and he wanted to worship the Lord. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. That is service. God, use me to serve you. And then he says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. That is worship. And so what is he doing? Serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. Number two, pursue a pathway of ministry. David says, Lord, let let me be used of you to teach people. Let me share your story and let me invite people to experience new life in you. David is doing all those things in his life. Now I want to finish here in the next few minutes. What lessons do we learn and apply from David's story? And I want to give you these eight statements from God's word about the life of David. And they're for kids, students, and adults in this room and those who are watching. What do we learn from the life of David that I pray this morning as we think about the missing piece that will apply to your life and my life? Number one, teach me. David came before God and he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let me ask you this morning, those who are uh, believers, are you teachable? Are you willing to come before God and say, God, will you teach me in the secret places of my life? I've not figured it out. I've not 
not learned it all. And God, I come before you today and will you teach me in life? David came before a holy God and said, God, I just need to be taught. Are you willing for God to teach you? Mom and dad, son or daughter, leader in this church, are you willing for God to teach you? Do you have a teachable spirit? David said, God, teach me. Number two, he said, God, cleanse me. What he's saying in this passage, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. What is hyssop? What does that mean? Hyssop was a sponge-like plant that grew in Israel. And they would take those plants and what would they do? They would, when the blood was shed for the sacrificial offerings, they would take those hyssop plants and they would dip them in blood and then they would use those hyssop plants to apply the blood to the altar or to the doorpost. It was about the blood of, of sacrifice. You know this hymn well. We need to come before God at times and ask him to cleanse us and to forgive us. But what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Christ. So, so let me ask you, are you, do you, do you need him to teach you? Do you need him to cleanse you? You need to be forgiven. You need the blood of Christ to your sin or scar, they should be white as snow. Do you need him to cleanse you, to forgive you, to change you? Number three, fill me. David comes in and he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David is ultimately saying, God, I, my life's been broken. I've sinned against you. My sin has been found out. I am the man. And I'm coming before you, confessing my sin to you. God, I need to be taught, I need to be cleansed, and God, I need to be filled. Will you fill me again, Lord, with joy and gladness so I can rejoice in you? How many of us this morning need to come before God and say, God, will you fill me again? Lord, in my walk with you, I'm missing joy. In my walk with you, I'm missing gladness. In my walk with you, I'm missing peace. And God, in my walk with you, I need to rejoice again. God, will you fill me again? How many of us need to ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit? Number four, forgive me. David came before God and he said, God, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. How many this morning behind closed doors thinking no one would ever know You've sinned against God. You've disobeyed him. You've sinned against other people. And you need almighty God who is a forgiving heavenly father. You need him to forgive you in your life. And you just come before him and say, God, I've sinned against you and done what is evil in your sight. Forgive me. That's where David was. A man after God's own heart, shepherd boy, king coming before a holy God who was a forgiving father and say, God, I need your forgiveness. Forgive me. Number five, change me. Because he came before God and he said, God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Change me, O God. Again, as Baptists, we don't like a lot of change, but change is a good thing in a Christian life. David came to a place in his life, he needed Almighty God to change him. And so how many of us today need to come before God and say, God, all these things that have already been said need to happen in my life, but God, I just need you to change me.
change me so that I don't commit that sin again, so that my focus is on you. I'm seeking the kingdom of God first. God, change me in life. How many of you need to ask God on this day, God, change me in my walk with you and let him work in your life. Number six, assure me. He said, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Please understand what David is saying there has nothing to do with eternal security. David's relationship with God was secure. His fellowship with God was broken, but his relationship with God was secure. It's not talking about being saved and lost again. David just says, God, assure me of your presence and assure me of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, do you know that you've been saved in your life? You can be wrong about a lot of things. Who's going to win or lose? I mean, I thought Kentucky would beat Notre Dame yesterday, and then that didn't work out so well. Hey, life's going to go on today. That's that's not a big deal. We're going to move on. But when it comes to your relationship with God and you being saved and you being assured of that, you cannot breathe your last breath and be wrong about that. You need to have assurance that you have turned from your sin, put your trust in Christ, and he has saved you. That your relationship with God will never be broken. You'll never be lost again. You are assured that he is your savior in life. Do you have that assurance? David just crying out to God and says, God, create in me and do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Number seven, restore me. David came before God and said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I want to speak to kids and students and adults. I want you to go back and think about when did you come to Christ in your life? When were you saved? Uh, Friday in that restaurant, we asked this young lady, and she did it. She took a, a receipt from the restaurant and said, I would just write down December the 10th, 12.37 p.m., where you were at. Here's when I was born again and I came to Christ. That's a spiritual marker for you in your life. She wrote it down. She said, you'll keep that the rest of your days. When did you come to Christ? And here's what I want to ask you again. It could have been just a few weeks ago. It could have been decades ago. Do you still have the joy of Christ in your life of being saved? Folks, if we're not careful, the enemy will do what? He will tempt us to get over being saved. We should never get over being saved. You and I were lost. We were dead in our sins. We were going to spend eternity separated from him. And then Jesus came to this earth while we celebrate Christmas and gave his life. He saves his people from their sins. Have you lost the joy of your salvation? And today, do you need to come back to God and say, God, restore the joy of your salvation in my life again? You need to ask him to do that. He's a joy giver. He'll restore the joy and the peace. Why? He is the missing peace. He'll do that in your life. And then number eight, use me. David came back and he said, God, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David is saying to God, God, use me again. And God used him. A man after God's own heart spiritually crashes in life, trying to cover up his sin. Finally, his sin found him out. And he came before God and experienced confession, forgiveness, and discipleship. And here God is going to use him again. And the joy of his salvation returned unto him. Now there are some here who are saying, you know, that, that probably never 
happened to me. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he just gave us a word of warning. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And so I want us to bow our heads together here for a moment and we're going to pray together and then we're going to sing. I want to ask you, is your soul troubled this morning? You know the Lord, but you've sinned against Him. You've disobeyed Him. You've walked away from His commands. Do you need Him to forgive you? Confess your sin to Him. Receive His forgiveness. Let Him use you. Have you lost the joy of your salvation today? Just walking with God, there's just no joy. There's no peace. There's no rejoicing anymore. And you need Him to change that. He changes a troubled soul. He did with David. He'll do it in your life. And so in the room and watching, I want to encourage you, if you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus, only Jesus will save you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He'll change your life today. That's why we invite you to come in this invitation. That's why if you're watching, we give you an email address, and we even say on the platform you're watching, respond to us. We'd love to communicate with you, helping you know Christ in your life. He is the missing piece of your life. You need to be baptized as we witnessed this morning. You want to join the fellowship of our congregation and church family. But maybe in your life again, mom or dad, son or daughter, they're just missing, you're missing peace and joy. Your soul is troubled and you want him to set you free. David was set free and he'll set you free today. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Father, I thank you this morning for being able to sing your word and to share your word. And Father, I pray for those who need Jesus. I pray for those who need to find joy again in life, peace in life. Pray for those who need to be baptized, those who need to make a spiritual decision to join the fellowship of our church family or maybe another church family. And those who have Christian life issues that they've sinned, their sin has found them out, and they need to come before you in confession, seeking your forgiveness and letting you change them. And God, you'll do that because you are faithful. So Father, in this invitation, we pray for obedience in this room, that people would come to Christ and they would find joy, peace, and forgiveness in him. And we pray this today in Jesus' name.